everyone and welcome back to Haunted History Chronicles. Before we introduce today's podcast or guest, if you like this podcast, please consider leaving a review. It costs nothing, but it helps share news of the podcast and guests I feature with others interested within the paranormal. It's a simple and easy way to help the podcast continue to grow and be a space for people to chat and come together. If you haven't already found us on the Haunted History Chronicles website, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find links to all social media pages in any of the notes for an episode. Come and join us to get involved and gain access to additional blogs, news and updates. And now, let's get started introducing today's episode. Joining me today is Bobby from X Tours, a company that specialises in ghost walks, historical tours and paranormal investigations established in the area of Dunster. Bobby has recently published his first book, Dunster Ghost Walk, a combination of history and paranormal that dives into the fascinating history where ancient folklore, historic battles and gruesome executions intertwine on every page. It threads together the past and the present. Bobby is here today to help uncover some of that historical past of Dunster with us and explore some of the paranormal legacy left behind. So let's say hello to our special guest. Hi Bobby, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Hi Michelle, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, especially as it's rather warm, so you know we're sat behind a microphone when we could be sat outside enjoying an ice cream and some sunshine. Yeah, baking in the sun. It is rather warm, like you say, but um, trying to make the most of it. <laughs> yeah, we'll be gone by next week and we'll have snow. <laughs> yeah. it, was raining. it was raining last night, I think. I thought um, it was going to be a bit wet for a few days and then all of a sudden the sun's out again, so there we go. Yeah, you can never predict what you're going to get, can you really? Not in England, no. <laughs> no. So do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and you know how you got into what you were doing, really? Yes, well, um, my background's in uh, history and archaeology, essentially. Um, my degree is in, in history, heritage and archaeology. Um, I got that from Plymouth Uni. Um, I was actually working at Dunster Castle while I completed uh, my degree. Um, I actually started, sort of my interest in wanting to pursue my degree started with um, an interest in archaeology. I actually started with metal detecting and things like that, um, building up quite a collection. Um, and it wasn't until doing my degree I realised my passion for history. So, yeah, I ended up working at Dunster Castle. Um, obviously, I learned a lot about the area. Paranormal investigating I've done for a number of years as well. Um, and then last year with Halloween approaching and um, it was, it's been in the back of my mind for quite a while. I'd really like to sort of do some historical walking tours of Dunster just to try and uh, spread some awareness of the history of the place. Um, and yeah, with uh, Halloween approaching last year, it just sort of, it was a light bulb moment. And I thought what better way to um, combine two fashions of mine, you know, the history and the paranormal side and do a Dunster ghost walk. And so yeah, started X tours last year with a Dunster ghost walk, which went really well. Um, and we do a number of events in other places in Somerset now, which uh, have gone really well. Like I said, uh, people really enjoy the combination of history and paranormal. So, yeah, it's working out. I think, you know, something that you just said, well, several of things you just said just really resonate, because I think 
there's something about the paranormal as a means and a route into history mm. you know they are so intrinsically linked i think and connected in such a way that you know you can't help but as you start immersing yourself into the stories of these people and the locations the events you know the the history that you're picking up what you're learning from from that account you know speaks so much doesn't it in terms of that period of time and you can learn far more than possibly something that you would ever glean from reading a book yeah. and that's coming from some teacher you know i just think there's something very immersive in that experience of being able to see somewhere experience something and a ghost talk i you know a ghost walk a historical tour anything of that nature really is that kind of perfect avenue that experience to be able to take that on board i think like a sponge yes 100 percent um you know, you touched on folklore and things like that just a moment ago. Um, and a lot of people would say, well, folklore isn't necessarily real history. There's no proof that these things actually happened. But the fact of the matter is, you know, a lot of the folklore you will hear is very far-fetched. And nine times out of ten, it didn't happen. But I don't think that takes away um, from its value as a historical um, piece of information. Because, like you was just saying, that still says so much about the people who lived during that period. Um, about their mentalities and things like that. Well, I think it speaks of um, kind of local history, yeah. um, belief systems, superstitions, that day-to-day -day experience of of the everyday ordinary person. And, you know, in many cases, they are stories and accounts that are rooted in something, whether it's some event where there's some kernel of truth, whether it's rooted in superstition and belief systems. But, you know, when you start to examine folklore, mm. it does reveal a part of history that again i think when you look at historical references reference books you don't necessarily get that flavor you get you get the information but you're not necessarily seeing it or experiencing it from what life was like what the person thought felt and i think folklore is one avenue to be able to kind of glean some of that to really understand the person behind all of it if that makes sense 100, yeah i think it gives you an insight into the imagination of not just an individual who wrote that story but the you know the whole the people from that period in history whether that's related to you know the folklore stories related to an area or as you know some folklore stories there's many different versions that come from many different areas in the whole of sort of britain we've obviously been chatting about you and your background and one of the things that you have just put out there and just released is a book where you're really kind of drawing all of this together and do you want to say a little bit about that and what people can expect if they purchase your book yes definitely well um thank you for popping that one in there um like i said a moment ago i realized after doing the um the ghost walks that people really enjoyed the combination of history and paranormal with an awareness of the amount of history that there is to see at Dunster, um, as many places with castles and uh, other historic things like that, a lot of the history in the area unfortunately gets overlooked um, because, you know, you know, to a certain element it's understandable. There's a huge castle there that's dominating the area. But, um, yeah, it is a shame for that history to just get completely overlooked. And um, one thing I really uh, enjoy is actually spreading awareness of history that other people wouldn't otherwise have known about. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, that was part of wanting to do the, um, get the book out there. Um, and then there was obviously spread, spreading awareness of the ghost stories because 
a lot of people that do come on my events, I'll be completely honest with you, they do come generally for the um, paranormal side. A lot, a lot of people do. Thankfully, they're pleasantly surprised by the history. But um, yeah, so with an awareness of how much people really enjoy learning about ghost stories, I w- wanted to get them out there. A lot of the ghost stories that we generally know of are historical ghost stories. Some are even based on folklore. One, another reason why I want to, want to get the Dunst the Ghost Walk out there is because there's a lot of ghost stories from the area that I've just learned of, say, in the past year that have come from people from the actual local area. Putting them out there is actually so important mm-hmm. because some of that is being lost. You know, we don't, we don't necessarily know the stories of our past. You know, we're, we're not passing them down in the way that we used to. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and so I think it is really important to to know that element of local history, those those ghosts, that ghost law, that folklore, and to perpetuate that by not letting them die, by sharing them, communicating them, whether it's through podcasts, whether it's through writing, whatever medium we can, you know, mm. we people that consume stories, we need to keep talking about them, otherwise they do just get lost to time, sadly. Yeah, you're you're hundred percent correct there, because uh, you know, certain ghost sightings I've heard of around Dunster. Who knows? There could have been ghost sightings previous to the ones that I've heard seeing the same thing. But the thing is, because it's not recorded, there's no record to say that. You know what I mean? So it's like it leaves gaps in the record. Whereas if everybody recorded these sightings, if and when they happened, they would sometimes realise that actually a number of people are seeing the ghost, this, the same thing, which I think, again, adds value to the ghost sighting. Mm, absolutely. And I also think as well that when you have that, very much that rich collection of evidence it builds up that you know that kind of bigger picture doesn't it you know you can start making connections in a way that you can't when something sits in isolation and often these are stories that change and change subtly or change drastically and being able to see that and and track that again is really important I think because it enables you to see aspects of history and how it might play into some of those changes but also to understand then what is out there and what is known or misunderstood about a location and a ghost story or a person that's involved in it and so on and the more information you have I think the better armed you are then when it comes to exploring the paranormal because I've been on paranormal events where you know, someone's misunderstood an aspect of history when it comes to the building or the particular era that they think might be connected with the ghost law. Right. And you kind of, you can sit there and you can scratch your head because you're thinking... Something doesn't match up here, sort of thing. It, it, you know, we're not kind of making these connections. And, you know, the more you know, the more you're able to put out there. 100%. And I, I um, think... Um, the rich experience, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it allows you to put things into context. Um yeah. It's one thing hearing of a ghost sighting, which is great. We all love to hear the stories, but unless that sighting has some kind of context to it, it doesn't have the same value as, for example, a ghost sighting of a monk in the area of where you know that a priory once stood. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you know what I mean? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, so much of this gets lost to time. And our understanding of local history, ground root history gets lost in the same way. And so... If people are immersing ourselves, immersing themselves in that via ghost lore or folklore or the paranormal or history tools, great because it's it's giving them that means of accessing that information again, isn't it? And yep. and again preserving it, which we're all very much in favour of. I think. Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, and that does seem to be the case. I think one of the things people take from my event is 
Um, when I cover the event, um, obviously I cover aspects of the history of the area that I feel like um, are very important to the to the area. Like, obviously, we're not going to go to Dance the Castle and not talk about the, the castle. But the, the thing is, I try to stay away from the sort of more commercialised and more romanticised stories and focus on um, stories that, like I said earlier, people otherwise wouldn't have, have known about. So whether that's using records or, you know, looking at uh, records of social history and things like that, I think that gives us an ability to bring out a lot of these historical stories that, like you said, otherwise would have been lost because they're not being printed in the, the big commercial history books. Um, and actually, it's, quite, it's a bit strange how it works because people tend to like the unknown history more. So you would expect there to be a lot more of it known. But that doesn't seem to be the case. No, I think it takes kind of being sparked into looking at it, first of all. Yeah. And that usually comes from having some kind of an experience that, you know, lights somebody's eyes up and gets them interested in it. Because let's be honest, we're all very lacking in awareness. We can walk past a building that is just rich with history and so many buildings have stories to tell but we walk past them totally oblivious because we see it every day yeah. to us it's normal and it sometimes takes somebody to just stop you and and give you that moment to pause and to see it Absolutely. and to start that story yeah, yeah. Uh, and then suddenly your passion's there and you're away and you want to find out more yeah. aren't you? So, like you said it opens your eyes and it gives you that hunger uh, yeah. yeah, just based on that, what you said, something that people have definitely taken from my walks is they've learned that when they're in a town or a village to look up, because like you mm. said, they go about their day to day lives. They might be going to the town to do some shopping and all they're doing is walking through the street, going to the shop, uh, getting what they need to, and sort of, you know, going home or going about their day. But actually, when you look up, you can appreciate the history of places so much more. Um, and that's where a lot of the hidden history is. It's, it amazes me. The amount of stuff you can see if you just look up. <laughs> oh my goodness, you can see all kinds of incredible things, yeah. you know, naughty, um, naughty bits of sculpture that some architect at some point or some craftsman has hidden away in the in the tiny crooks of a building. Yeah. You know, you can see so much that is so revealing and, and so comical and informative that again just opens your eyes to those hidden elements of history things that people would know about that would never get you know never get recorded in a book and taught in a school but just speak volumes don't they they're so revealing they do yeah and I guess you know like you were just saying a minute ago it takes something to open your eyes and I guess people like me and yourself our eyes have been open that's why we're looking up looking for these things and I hope that people that come on my events do take that from them and carry on looking for things and it's you know it's given that hunger to look for more it's something that I think once you start to be aware of it the you know that passion's there you start to do it more and more because it is this kind of world it's like stepping behind a curtain that you suddenly feel very privileged to be part of and you can have some brilliant observations some things that everybody else is just walking past and, and missing and and suddenly you spot that and you've got that kind of internal conversation going in your head where you're chuckling at what you've seen or mesmerized by what you're looking at yeah or, or you're amazing you've you know, never really, spotted it before yeah. and things like that whatever it is that's kind of really speaking to that emotion it's there in in spades really and you know like i said you can have such a range of experiences emotional experiences when you start to notice yeah details that again we just overlook for me i always naturally look for these details I, I like you know i think i've mentioned earlier i'm always looking for the unknown um but the thing is when i find it 
it's like a subconscious thing. I already I, I assume that everybody else already knows about it. So, for example, when I started the Dunster Ghost Walk, I started it and I had a feeling I knew quite a few things about the area that other people didn't know. But I thought, you know, I'm going to have some locals on the walk. They're going to know it all. Um, it amazed me that even locals would come on the, the um, walk and learn, learn a lot about the area and even see things that they'd walked past so many times and, and were just completely unaware of that was there. Yeah, it's it's honestly surprising, though, what people miss. I mean, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, <laughs> but we have um, we have a, a church not too far from where I mm. live and they have beautiful beautiful wooden um carvings and things inside and when you look in the corner there are these little cherubs right and they're literally pushing their bottoms yeah where they they get ruder so i'm actually being quite polite here when i say that they're flashing their bottoms the more you look the more you see these very naughty rude little cherubs doing all manner of things some clothed some not clothed and um it's a church and yeah. that's the bit that you have to kind of, you know, kind of tie together. They are there in a church, and it is basically just some craftsman who was, who was um, playing around. Yeah, <laughs> and that's all it yeah, is. Because uh, we've got Cleve Abbey down, uh, not too far away from myself, and uh, you've got the same thing there. You know, the wood carvings, and it's all lovely um, and very grand looking. And then in the corner, in fact, it's it's so small and far away from the eye, you can't actually make it out unless you get close to it. There's something quite rude mm-hmm. there. And uh, they think that was the uh, carpenter's way of sort of uh, letting those who had the money know that he wasn't too happy with them sort of thing. <laughs> well, they often weren't paid very well, were no. they? And sometimes they weren't paid at all. So this was a kind of means of, of kind of getting one back at yeah. them. Yeah, 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 an outlet for that. You know, here- because again, most people don't notice it and it's going to be there for a very long time, if not forever. Yeah. So yeah. here's their mark and they're kind of leaving that behind for everyone to see if they take notice of yeah. it. So. It's amazing to think though, isn't it? All these years later, yeah. hundreds of years later, I bet he never thought that I would be looking up at it and having a laugh as well. And wondering how it got there and what was yeah, the circumstances exactly. that led to it. Fair play to you, mate. Fair play. <laughs> Absolutely. So kind of before we get into the more of the detail of Dunster and some of these buildings and the folklore and the ghost law. Yeah. Do you want to just give some of the um, setting for Dunster, if you like? Because it it's an incredibly picturesque place. We're talking, you know, a medieval village here. But for many people who maybe are listening from outside of the United Kingdom and, and even from within the United Kingdom, they may not have been there. They may not know much about this area and what it's like. So do you want to just give some of that kind of yeah, of backdrop you like. Yeah, so firstly, I will just say, forgive me if I refer to it as a town. Obviously, I've spent so much time researching it, and historically, it was a town. It was a very important market town. Now, obviously, it does say on the um, on the sign as you enter Dunster, you know, historic medieval village. But I um, I like to still refer to it as a town. I know it's a bit naughty, but <laughs> I try not to. But if it does slip out, just forgive me. But um. Yeah, so it, like you said, it's a very um, historic place. I like to think it's one of the few remaining places in England that you can um, really feel like you've stepped back in time. Um, the history goes back, you know, thousands of years to prehistoric times. Uh, there's no evidence as such that uh, there was a prehistoric settlement within Dunster, but there certainly was surrounding the area of Dunster. We've got um prehistoric hill fort of um, Blackball Camp, it's called. And then Bats Castle as well, which was an Iron Age hill fort just behind Dunster. 
Um, so given that and given the um, ancient burial grounds that can be found in the area, I would have thought there probably would have been, you know, um, people living in Dunster in the Iron Age. But the history of Dunster really begins in sort of Saxon times. Um, in fact, it's thought that that's uh, where Dunster gets its name. So it's recorded that there was a, um, a thane in the area of Dunster uh, in the Saxon period, and his name was Dunna, D-U-N-N-A. And um, he set, established fortifications on the tour um, where the castle now sits, which was known as Dunner's Tor. So that's where we get Dunster, Dunster Tor sort of thing. And yeah, like I say, I mean, in that period, you've got the Vikings harassing uh, other Saxon settlements along the uh, West Somerset coastline. So just up the road, we've got Watch It. Uh, just to give an example of how successful the Vikings was, more coins that was minted in uh, Watch It have actually been found in... Uh, Nordic countries than has been found in England. That I mean, that's that's incredible. That kind of chunk of information that is. It's amazing, isn't wow. it? I mean, I I love it. Yeah. And what I find fascinating fascinating about it is that uh, there's theories that a number of Dunster traditions, some that are still carried uh, carried out today, date back to the Saxon period. I mean, there's not many places in England that uh, can claim that, is there? Not that I know of. No. And, you know, again, coming back to what you were saying, those traditions, people often don't realise and recognise where they kind of started from, those origins. And again, they're they're so much part of the kind of the community. They're just done over and over. They're replicated, but without that understanding. And again, sometimes it takes stripping it back Mm. to understand where they began, because, again, it speaks so much of the history of the place, really. It does. I mean, yeah, we were talking earlier about how certain folklore gives you an idea of the imaginations of the, you know, the uh, people that lived during that period. Um, so to give an example, out in the Bristol uh, Channel, there's an estuary between Somerset and Wales. I'm not sure how well you know the area. There's a couple of islands out in the estuary, and uh, they're really uh, mysterious islands. You look at them, and personally, I can't help look at them and just with awe, you know, wondering what could have happened on the islands. But um, folklore that's been passed down over many centuries says how the islands was created from the bones of giants. So there was um, Vincent, Lord of Avalon, and uh, uh, the giant of Gorm, who had a a big epic battle, and uh, the giant of Gorm was defeated, and he fell into the Bristol Channel, and his bones eventually turned into um, stone and became the islands of Steepholm and Flatholm. Now, to the modern ear, we... a lot of people would play that off as, you know, oh, hearsay, which obviously we know that those islands aren't made from uh, bone, but it gives you an an insight into the imaginations of the people from that time, doesn't it? Mm, absolutely. And I think it actually speaks to so many things, doesn't it? Because it speaks to people of importance, um, belief systems that are important, yeah. but also um, historical events, you know, the fact that... <clears throat> unrest, fighting, these types of things were so yeah. commonplace that they get weaved into their everyday stories, yeah. don't they, as to explanations for something. And I think there's a um, bit of a correlation to, um, it's like uh, justice, you know? Mm. Uh, Vincent, Lord of Avalon, would imply that he was the one who was sort of in power, and the giant of Gorm, um, he was the one that was defeated, and, you know, the story sort of implies that uh, it was beating the bad guy, so to speak. And it's, I think you touched on this earlier, that you know so many of these stories they're not the same they're not carbon copies but the fact that you get versions of them elsewhere Mm. um again there's something about that isn't that in that 
you can have these stories that seem familiar but at the same time have these differences and again what is that telling us what's that kind of allowing us to explore when it comes to these historical periods and the people involved I mean again you can just get so much from one story alone I think you can I guess you know people could interpret interpret that in different ways but I think regardless of how you interpret the stories um there's still so much to gain from it even if somebody interpreted mm -hmm. it different to me they've still gained value from that story it might have allowed them yeah. to understand certain elements of it differently to how I did you know because of how we think about it but we still got the value from that story that's been passed down over hundreds of years, which I think is just amazing. Dunster itself is very rich in some folklore. Yeah. And I know it's something that you kind of share as part of your talks and your walks and so on. Do you want to just tell us about some of the, the folklore that you kind of share with people that has, again, just some of these elements that we've been talking about? Yeah, well, um, one of my favourite, I think it's because everybody can, well, when, it's a, when somebody says the word King Arthur, I think everybody knows what you're talking about, or at least they've heard the name before. Um, and I was, I was amazed when I heard uh, the uh, story that potentially links, links Arthur to Dunster. Um, so uh, there was a saint called St. Carantoc, and he was from South Wales. He was a saint. And um, what's really interesting about this is he actually lived in the period of history where we think Arthur came from. And he does uh, talk about Arthur in West Somerset. So the source that I found said how he, um, he was looking for a new place to carry out his missionary work. He decided to throw his altar into the sea, believing that it would um, lead him to a suitable new place. Anyway, following the altar with his boat, he lost it and come along, uh, come across the West Somerset coast where he met somebody called, uh, well, it was referred to as King Cato and um, a King Arthur. And um, King Arthur is referred to as being from uh, Dindrathol, which is an area that modern historians have identified as Dunster. Um, Karen talk, talks about a fierce serpent that was uh, ravaging the area of Carhampton, which is thought where, um, it's thought Carhampton actually gets its name from St. Carantoc, interestingly. And um, yes, apparently Arthur actually found the altar stone, it washed up on the coastline, and he decided he was going to use it as a table. But everything that he put up on the table, in brackets, uh, was being thrown off. Um, you know, some time passed, and he heard of uh, Carantoc's uh, plight, and he won't. Arthur wanted to get rid of the serpent that was ravaging the area in uh, Carhampton. So he said to uh, the saint that you can have your altar stone back. I just want you to rid me of that serpent in the neighboring town. And he was able to defeat them and uh, he got his altar stone back and he set up a monastery in Carhampton and that's how it got its name, Karanatok. Uh, and again, you know, just coming back to what we were just saying, you know, the fact that these have origins and things that people maybe aren't aware of whether it's something like that the name of a location you know that you have this wonderful rich folklore that begins to explain something the beginning of something possibly or yeah. like you were talking about earlier the beginning the explanation for why you have these islands there's these connections with all of it and again when you start looking at it and unpicking it unpicking that it's like opening a a gift isn't it you know to see what it's revealing or what it's giving you it's it's magical yeah, it really is yeah so do you have any other favorite aspects of folklore that you love sharing as part of your guided tours um, 
about Sunstone? I like talking about um, Mother Leaky. She's quite interesting. Uh, what I like about her is that we know she was actually uh, a real person. So a lot of ghost stories we come across, you can't actually pin them down to a real person. But uh, we know that Mother Leaky definitely lived. Uh, she lived in the area of Minehead in the 1600s. And um, she was a very kind and caring person in life. But uh, she apparently told her friends that regardless of the fact she was kind in life, she was going to come back and haunt them all uh, when she died. Anyway, uh, she died in Minehead in 1634, on the 5th of November, I believe it was. And uh, surprise, surprise, a week later, she um, she started turning up in the local area and even in the church. Um, but one story I really find quite amusing regarding Mother Leakey is, comes from a doctor. Uh, he was walking home from a patient one evening and he was walking across some fields and uh, he bumped into a lady and he got chatting to the, a lady. Now. The lady was actually the ghost of Mrs. Leakey, but um, at this point in time, he didn't realize that it was a ghost. Uh, so they carried on their, their chat as they walked along the field and they got to a stile. Uh, the doctor stopped and held Mother Leakey across and they carried on walking across the next field. And um, it was at this point, the do doctor started to realize that her face was expressionless. Her mouth wasn't moving and her eyes wasn't moving um, as she was talking. So aware of the fact that something wasn't quite right, uh, the doctor tried to, uh, create some distance between him and Mother Leakey. Anyway, he reached another style and failed to offer her hand, her hand over. Again, obviously, he's trying to keep some distance between them. She didn't take kindly to this, and she um, jumped over the style behind him and actually kicked him in a private, to which he um, done a runner. <laughs> That's quite a story. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, I love it. <laughs> he's quite renowned in the area of Minehead. Apparently, there's a lot of fishermen in the area and apparently a lot of them still blame her to this day when seas get particularly bad. Isn't it funny how um, there are a lot of those connections made by sailors when it comes to poor um, fishing yeah. harvests and poor weather and Not so good, on, whether good. it, you know, they're super, very superstitious and they do make those connections, don't they, avidly with, with ghost lore and, and all manner of other folklore. They and do, but what's really interesting with Mother Leakey, so she had three children who lived in the area and her son Alexander was a successful, a successful mariner and he moved cargo backwards and forwards between uh, Minehead and Ireland. He believed that it was actually his own mum, Mrs Leakey, um, that caused the storm that resulted in him becoming bankrupt because he lost all of his goods in the sea. And she was even blamed for um, smothering her own grandchild. Oh gosh! Yes. So like I say, she was quite renowned in the area and considering she was a nice person in, um, in life, clearly um had a grudge making up something. following death yeah it is funny how um a lot of ghost law um when you examine the person when there is a very real connection when you can um trace it historically to someone or an event you know person an event yeah. it's it is funny how it comes through in ghost law because you know you have examples where it's a life cut short and here are stories where it kind of fills in those gaps of what might have been, what could have been, carrying on their story, allowing them to live beyond their death because they shouldn't have been taken so soon. Yeah. Then you do have these characters who, who clearly and obviously were very important to the community. And I, I would imagine Mrs. Leakey was important or known in the community. Yeah. And so here you've got her kind of carrying that on, but in, in a way contrary to how she was in life, almost this very mischievous, um, opposite to her her actual existence what is that what does that try and suggest what you know in terms of why that was carried on 
it yeah. may be just yeah do you know that's a, that's a very interesting thought isn't it like you say um why portray her in such a bad light when obviously she was i'm assuming she was renowned in the community as a, a nice person you know the, the the source that says she was a kind and caring person i believe is a contemporary source so it's strange like you say that they would remember somebody in a bad way when they was deemed to be kind and caring in life but like you said maybe it it's makes... just a case of remembering that person regardless of giving them a reason to be remembered yeah yeah them, you know yeah, and yeah. no one's going to but nobody's going to remember ghost or about a lovely friendly woman are they who who just comes back and continues to be lovely but you know if you give a mischievous ghost story that gets remembered yeah. it gets it gets kind of connected with things so it could be that okay. but then also there's possibly you know maybe there's something that was never uncovered maybe there was something that she was tied to maybe that comes through in that ghost yeah and it's interesting because maybe her yeah. son when um he blamed her for his down for his bankruptcy maybe you know it was because in his mind you know knowing his mum had passed recently it wouldn't be anyone else do you know what i mean it was like oh yeah. that's my mum coming back maybe not in the, the way he wanted her to but not very happy with him for something that he was doing you know as mothers do yeah maybe actually he was feeling guilty about something he'd done wrong and he felt like yeah. yeah, that's an interesting thought. He was being chastised. Yeah. But again, having those, when you start thinking about it, it just, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? It makes you stop and pause and start adding your own elements to these stories. And yeah. that's, I think, the beauty of folklore and the beauty of ghost lore, that you start inserting yourself into it and they get embellished, this is how they get changed. People wonder and they start asking questions and bringing something to it. And yeah, yeah again, yeah, it's like, something you know, magical about it. Get added and taken away and you get yeah. different stories incorporated into each other because um, as you know there's sometimes numerous different versions of the same story whether that's folklore or and you know everybody's going to have a version of it aren't they and yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it, I is, guess, it is you know the version you know or the version you believe just purely depends on the, the version you've come across in the past the version yeah you've, you've heard it being told i think that can change depending on geography the narrator time frame there's so many things that influence that isn't there and yeah. again it's the beauty of storytelling changes in mentality mm. you know some people can just be uh, adamant that their way is correct and then all of a sudden actually they look at it differently and they think oh actually you know sometimes you've got to be open-minded to different um possibilities i think but isn't there something really hair-raising when you can trace a story like that to the person you know the actual figure that this was based upon yeah. or who you think it might be because you don't always have that hard evidence no, you don't. but have a lot have a feeling of who it might be or who it could be because it could just be like the person who lives next door to you you know to be able to make those types of connections with the everyday person mm. and see them almost like a real person someone who existed their flesh and bone and you get that coming through in the ghost or these these feel real in the telling of them yeah and so you really do have that hair on the back of the, your neck moment because you can start to picture them. You know, you can visualise them in your head and what they would have been like. Yeah, 100%. I, I, the way I read ghost stories is I'm always aware of the fact that actually people believed this, you know? And I, I'm not saying I believe everything I come across, but I, when I read certain stories that you might think are, are maybe unlikely, I still am aware of the fact that actually it doesn't matter if you think it's unlikely, people believe this back in the day it was it was true to them again it's knowing what were the circumstances that 
made it believable was it the was it an event is it things that they have experienced you know um strange phenomena that they couldn't explain and so they've created this story so again it, it brings up all of these questions doesn't it as to how it started yeah. were they experiencing things themselves and this the story has filled in that gap as to why something was happening in the local community mm. whether it's someone experiencing doors banging or you know all the kinds of things that people think about when they think about ghost stories you know what was happening what where where was the root of it yeah. where did it all start yeah. you know just kind of moving on a little a little bit or not moving on but kind of stepping to the side a little bit and looking at something else you mentioned that obviously in the area of Dunster that you have these traditions that exist now mm -hmm. that go back to things thousands of years ago are there any particular traditions that exist today that are you would say really interesting and reflect some of that history that have been kind of carried yeah, on definitely well um the most well known is the hobby horse have you ever heard of the hobby horse? The reason I ask you is because I know there's variations in different places, and it's not the not the thing I, you ride in um in a nursery. <laughs> no, although I have um made some hobby horses for children at, at my school <laughs> many moons ago. We had races with them, which was great fun. But I've I've heard different versions of them, so I'm kind of interested as to which version Dunster has because, like I said, I have I have heard different ones, and there was there's um. There's something special about seeing things that match and then things that don't match between them. It's a it's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating tradition. Yes, it is. I mean, I was reading about the they do one at Padstow in Cornwall, and theirs is um, referred to as the Obby Horse. Now, yeah, that's know, the one that I. Yeah, heard. which is obviously very similar, but again, different. But um, the to give you an idea of what it looks like, I mean, essentially, it looks like a boat. Um, but then it's wearing a mask and the mask is sort of a grotesque figure and there's a long tail going behind it. So without the long tail, you would be forgiven for assuming that it was just uh, supposed to be a boat. But um, so they they do it on May Day each year and they start at Minehead um, at five o'clock in the morning, I believe. Um, they have the drums beating, uh, probably had a few beers as well. And they start at Minehead, go up to Dunster and basically go in all the neighboring areas. So as you can imagine, some love it, some don't like it so much because they get sick of being woken up every year at the crack of dawn by this crazy horse going down the road. But uh, no, it's a really interesting tradition. Um, it's thought that the origins might date back to the Saxon period. And the story goes that uh, I mentioned earlier how the Vikings was harassing the uh, West Somerset coast during this period, in the period of Saxons. Apparently on one occasion, the, they seen the Vikings approaching the area of Dunster and one Saxon soldier Rather than preparing for battle with his sword and shield, as you might expect, he decided he was going to get this old rickety boat and he was going to put it on his back and sort of um, chase after the Vikings. And apparently, um, the it had a grotesque animal figure on the front as well. And apparently it looked so strange and bizarre to the Vikings that actually it had the desired effect and they'd done a runner. And that's where we get the story of the hobby horse. You know, some do say that actually it's probably just based on, you know, more traditional May Day celebrations. But I kind of like the story with this cats and soldier, so that's what I stick with. It's, I mean, it's just, it's so rich, isn't it? I mean, it's fascinating to, to have both, I think. It I think, is, yes. Um, all of these different connections, but 
again, it, then history is a bit of a spider web. I always think, you know, it, there are links and connections to so many different things, and um, they reveal so much. And we have so many of these traditions that can be linked to seasons, to times of the year when it comes to harvest. You know, things from a bygone age that we maybe just don't think about, aren't aware of nowadays. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've been talking so about folklore, but actually the traditions mm. have the same value as a folklore in terms of showing you an insight into people's minds back then. Because yeah. like you were just saying, they are related to that sort of thing. And generally, you know, they would have been trying to ensure a good harvest or fertility and things like that. Um, you know, that's obviously what was important to people back then. And they was willing to do whatever it took to um, ensure that. Absolutely, and we have these, but we don't necessarily know the roots and the origins of them. Yeah. We have the the hallmark versions of them, like Halloween, for example. You know, we have the what we know, where we think it comes from, but actually, like so much of history, often it goes back much further, and it's rooted in something else. And yeah. and when you start to go down those rabbit holes and start looking at it, it's fascinating. It's, it's so revealing. The thing is with things like um, Halloween, it's so commercialised as well. Like you, like you say, you can go down a ra rabbit hole, you're trying to find the origin, and you think you found it, but then because it's such an historical event, you find another source that suggests it's something entirely different, you end up down another rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But again, when you when you see it played out on local level, when you see some of these traditions, some of these things that are rooted in the, the history of your local area, um, making those those links, making those connections is is brilliant, isn't it? Because yeah. you're you're being connected with a moment in history. You're being connected with a person. You're being connected with an event, a possible event. You know, this soldier possibly who's done this thing and and strap this boat on his back and forging it into this scenario with this viking yeah. to try and scare them off trying to show off to his mates but actually he thought you know oh it actually worked because <laughs> 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 you know, i'm always aware of the fact that although it could have been a thousand more than a thousand years ago but they were still human beings yeah completely and again i think this is this is the avenue to enable us to see them as human beings mm. because they become much more lifelike. We see ourselves in it. Yeah. And and this is where I do think looking at folklore, looking at traditions, looking at these all of these different things that we've been talking about, ghost lore, whatever it is, um, the architecture of a building, you know, this the wood the craftsmanship, when we can have these moments, we're able to step through that door. Mm -hmm and see ourselves from our past. We yeah. can make these connections with them because we're not that different. Yeah. You know, we think of ourselves as superior because we are years down the line. We're really more advanced. Yeah. No, hundred, we're not, we're the same exactly people. We've just got phones and internet. So, yeah. but then, Absolutely. You were saying about, you know, talking about the hobby horse um, and you were saying how making that um, link to an historical story is, is really great. But I'm sure you, like myself, you can appreciate it, even if you don't have that link. Um, something that's yeah. been carried out for whatever period of time it is, regardless of any story that you think might have it, it come from, you can still appreciate it for what it is as a historical tradition. Sometimes it doesn't because matter again, where it came it, from, you know? No, because again, I think it gives you that element of wonder doesn't it those questions yeah. and we are naturally nosy human beings who are inquisitive and so when we have something that just sparks that interest that gives us that little bit of sense of magic 
of um, intrigue, of mystery, of mysticism, you know, whatever it is, because it covers that full gambit, doesn't it? Again, it just, it doesn't matter if we don't have any context, if there is no record that it's attached to, if there's no person that it's attached to. It symbolizes something, and I think that's enough. Yeah, no, you're right. And look, these traditions grow up in certain areas, even if other places have variations of it. Like you said, it's part of that area's history, regardless of where it came from. Buildings, geography, place to place, whatever it is, whether it's you going from one county to another county, another street to another street, another building to another building, everything has a story. You know, there is something behind almost every nook and cranny when you start looking when you have a very old historic location or a very old historic area town village whatever it is um because it can be all of that content you do have stories and places everywhere dotted everywhere and they are like you mentioned earlier they're often the the overlooked unknown elements because people will be attracted and drawn in by the yeah, castle yeah. that's on the hill you know the thing that draws people in because it's that wonderful tourist attraction they're beautiful i love castles um but there is this history underneath that that is connected with the landscape that's connected with that castle that's connected with each other it's a very symbiotic relationship i think yeah. And some of that can be overlooked. And, and again, this is the beauty of what you're doing because you're putting a spotlight and, and, and shining a light on some of that, really. Um, yeah. And with, some of these beautiful buildings. Yeah, uh, with building up an awareness of the history of the area and being aware of how much there is there to see, I feel like it's kind of my duty to um, make sure other people are aware of that. Like you were just saying about the castle and the, the history of the town, um, a lot of it gets overlooked. A lot of people think that the history of Dunster is the history of the castle, but actually I would say it's the other way around, and without the uh, town of Dunster, there wouldn't be a Dunster castle. But I think that's probably the same for most places with the castle. They, they, um, they relied on the local populace to keep them going. That only happens when you have it thriving and all of these other things happening, isn't yeah. it? And, and again, this is the bit that you can start peeling away some of those layers to reveal that and they can reveal so much whether it's war whether it's unrest whether it's something very specific to a building people an event they have so much to tell so much history to reveal and personal stories and accounts and again it can be in something that people overlook and you know one of the one of the areas that i know that you speak about is um a bridge and the the history that it's connected to is it is one that you would think that most people are aware of and what happened to the individuals involved but you know this particular bridge take that bit of history out this is a bridge that again do people even know how it was used what why it was there you know what its purpose was um in terms of travel in terms of trade in terms of carrying horses across it you know do they have that kind of sense of understanding of it to begin with probably not to know that this was used in this manner but then to take it to the other extreme of here's what happened here this is the story that it reveals this is what you know this is this is something that took place yeah again 
just so revealing and I don't know if you want to to share that with people listening because it is one of those I think that probably there's a there's a version of this somewhere near you and are you aware of it yeah possibly not you know it's one of those moments yeah exactly what you were saying a moment ago about the history of the town and how you know, in order for it to be sustained for such a long period of time, it takes a combination of many different elements, you know, the people, the markets, the maritime trade and things like that. And what's really interesting about Gallic's Bridge is that actually it involved so much that Dunster relied on. Um, you know, going back, it, it was constructed in the 1400s. Um, it is a pack horse bridge, which would allow people to take goods from Dunster to neighbouring uh, Carhampton. But um, what's really interesting about that is it, when you look at old maps from Dunster, uh, so sorry, I should mention before I go into this, that um, Dunster actually had its own harbour at one stage known as Dunster Haven. So this is again a, a thing that gets massively overlooked. Um, not that many people are aware of, of Dunster Haven. Um, and that would have functioned um, in Dunster up until the 1700s. And when you look at old maps, you've got the River Avil, which flows down uh, from Dunster and old maps show how the course of the river would have gone from Gallet's Bridge all the way down to the sea, to the area where um, Dunster Haven was. Now there's a theory that um, they could have unloaded goods from the larger ships onto the smaller boats and the, the River Avil being connected to the Severn Estuary, being an estuary at high tide, you could have actually brought boats all the way up to that river um, and up to the area of Gallet's Bridge, which is essentially at the base of the castle which is obviously um, a big thing. And when you when you walk down into that area now, you see the quaint little cottages and the back horse bridge. And as you were saying a moment ago, you would never ever look at that area and imagine that boats would have come up here, you know, with sailors coming off of them all of those years ago. Um, but then we go a bit later in their history um, and sort of where it gets its name. So Gallops Bridge, Gallops comes from the gallows. Uh, we know that the gallows was on the other side of Gallows Bridge, um, somewhere on Gallows Hill. And um, yeah, I think you mentioned about a few people who would have been marched over that bridge. Is that the guys from the Monmouth Rebellion that you were referring to? Yeah, I was alluding to it without trying, trying to, to give it away. away so that I'd let you be. So, um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I usually talk about those poor souls uh, when we get to the Forester's Arms. So the Forester's Arms is a really interesting building on the other side of Dunster, on sort of um, exiting from the east side of Dunster. Um, sort of going out towards Exmoor. Uh, it's a really interesting building. It was actually originally a, a chandlery. I'm not sure if you know about a, a chandlery or what they would have produced, but um, during the 16 and 1700s, it's recorded how he produced um, candles there. So he would have produced candles and also he produced soap. But he was convicted uh, at one point because he allowed his effluent run into the river. So obviously the Lords of the Manor wasn't allowing that and he got prosecuted for that. And he actually turned the pub into, no, sorry, he turned the building into a, an alehouse and called it the Bridge End Inn. Now, I've never uh, come across anyone else uh, with this theory before, but the Bridge End Inn actually, or what was the Bridge End Inn, uh, leads down a road which is now called Park Street. Previously it was uh, Walter Street and in the 1200s it was recorded as Gallows Road. So I don't know if when he called it the Bridge End Inn, he was referring to the bridge, you know, where people would have met their end. But anyway, we're talking about the guys from the Monmouth Rebellion. So, yeah, it's recorded how in 1685, three men from Dunster, uh, there was a, uh, Henry Lackwell, John Deans and William Sully, who was all hanged at the gallows for their part in the Monmouth Rebellion. Um, 
and they would have been uh, obviously taken over Gallic's Bridge. There's a really interesting quote um, that I come across, a, a contemporary quote, and it says how um, the mournful procession passed down West Street. These men were known to all in this village as they were surrounded by weep weeping relatives and friends. After the hangings came the gruesome dismemberment of the corpses and the burning of their entrails. Their limbs were torn asunder, salted and boiled in pitch, this to preserve them, and their sundry parts nailed along the village high street and on the trees along the king's highways to subdue and terrorize all those who, who opposed his most gracious majesty. So, um, yeah, every time I walk down uh, Gallows, what's now um, Park Street, I can't help but think about them being led down that road and over the bridge, you know, with their relatives surrounding them. And what a traumatic experience it must have been, especially ending the way it did, as I've just described. We are about to celebrate hitting our 100th episode of Haunted History Chronicles on the last Friday of April 2023. To say thank you for the months of May, June and July, there are going to be daily paranormal podcasts available to enjoy on all tiers over on Patreon, as well as the usual additional items available over there. Signing up now will gain you access to these, as well as all previous archived content. For as little as £1, you could be getting hundreds of podcasts to enjoy, and more, and know that you're contributing and helping the podcast to put out another 100 episodes. You can find the link in the episode description notes, as well as on the Haunted History Chronicles website, along with other simple and great ways to support the podcast directly. It's all truly very much appreciated. And now, let's head back to the podcast. When you don't have that history, when you don't know it, it's just a bridge. It's just a, it's just yeah, a place to walk. Yeah. You know, you're, you're seeing a hill in the distance, but you don't necessarily know what was near that area, what it was used for. But actually, again, these are things that existed in various places mm -hmm. across our landscape. And this went on all of the time. And something like the Monmouth Rebellion and other rebellions were so such significance. And the people involved had to be made an example yeah. of. And the, the punishment that was exacted on them in front of everybody in, in such a public manner, both in terms of the execution, but then in the, the treatment of the corpse and how they were displayed as a public reminder going forward. The, the, the depth of hardship and suffering that would have brought for their weeping families who've had to witness this and then continue to witness it, you know, to be part of that, you know, it it would have been so traumatizing in a way that we can't necessarily understand until we take a moment just to think about it and think about what that would have been like. And, I, you know, I think, again, there's nothing more powerful than having that moment to pause and to understand yeah. just that story alone. Yes, exactly. Um, um, and have that empathy. Yeah, so um, there's a quote, it was... Edward Hobbs, who was the um, sheriff of Somerset during that time. And I'll never forget how he explained um, his part in the barbaric uh, punishment. And he explained, um, I'm trying to remember this right word for word now. Uh, he said, as Somerset sheriff, 
he had to make sure that the execution of the prisoners was properly carried out and that no detail could be overlooked. Um, uh, he ordered that a cauldron should be provided for boiling their heads and their quarters. He uh, mentioned how some people said that the barbaric, the punishments that he dished out were barbaric, um, and he just pointed out that he was just doing his job. Which he, he was, was. Yeah. you know. He was just doing his job. It was his duty to see these things through. You know, these were things coming directly from the yeah. king. You know, these were these were things that you had a duty to enforce. You were the, the law of the land, if you like. And this was an act considered treasonous. You know, it was it was a means of showing that to everybody by doing the most barbaric things possible that you can humanly think of because they deserved it. And people needed to know this is what could happen to you if you're not living the life that your king your country expects of you you know that's basically it exactly because if you're against the king like you said you're classed as a heretic and if you're a heretic you're against god and i, I mm-hmm. guess it's trying to yeah change people's men- mentalities entirely i guess this was a time i think where community was everything you, you were part of knew everybody in a way that i don't think we do today in yeah. quite the same manner yeah. You know, we are much more distanced from our neighbours, even the person that we might live right next door to. Um, But back then, you knew everybody. Mm -hmm. You would have known the people in your street. You would have known the people on the other street. You would have seen each other at church. You would have seen each other all the time and and traded with them. All of these things. And so something like this, when I say it would have been such a kind of a scar on the community... It's really what it was. Another thing is, being so public, it would have been something everybody felt yeah. either shame, um, sadness, loss, anger, all of these kind of human emotions would have played out in what they saw. Yeah. And you know, I always take into account that this was in living uh, within limit living memory of the end of the English Civil War. As I'm sure you're aware, the English Civil War, you've got families against families. After that, the last thing they would have wanted was all this traumatic experience of their families being executed and things like that so you know i always try and always aware of the fact that monmouth rebellion it was in living memory of the english civil war and i think sometimes the two are very much separated when actually a lot of the people that was involved in the monmouth rebellion whether you was directly involved or was affected in the aftermath you still would have been thinking about all those years previous we underestimate the turbulence of so much of this history you know um turbulence between branches of houses Mm -hmm. families i mean it played out all the time didn't it and this kind of unrest unfortunately where it really was seen was on the everyday person yeah you know it was them that was typically uprooted it was them that typically had their lives upturned where you know because you could be in favor one day on the right side of the of the current king yeah. and the following day you were suddenly the traitor that's how quickly tides could turn yeah. and you could fall out of favor and you didn't have power you didn't have politics you didn't have money the everyday person for whom there was less significance and so your whole life could be shifted by the politics and the and the happenings of of a court and a king and these people that you never saw and you know that's how we have to think about it you know and you know again like i said we don't necessarily have that same understanding because well we don't we don't think this tends to be more stable yeah i think you mentioned something about it earlier but i think our brains are unable to comprehend 
the, you know, the mentalities of people back then. I think it, things would have been that different. And what you were just saying, you were talking about how, you know, people at the bottom would have been severely affected and they would have been swapping sides and things like that. Uh, so it's quite interesting, Dunster Castle during the English Civil War. So they swapped sides a bit. Um, at the beginning of the um, English Civil War, sorry, I should point out, it was the Luttrells who held the castle at this point in time. Um, and at the beginning of the English Civil War, they was parliamentarian. And um, th eventually uh, the royalists take, took the castle. But what's interesting is uh, who held the castle for the royalists was uh, uh, Francis Wyndham, who was actually a cu cousin of Thomas Luttrell. So, it actually, you know, it affected those, you know, in terms of family, right at the top as well, at least in this area. I'm sure it did in many other as well. Yeah. And this is where it could become really quite difficult because you could have family against family. And again, that could play out all the way through down to the common person whereby your brother might be on the wrong side of who you support based on geography. It could be just something as simple as that, you know, what, that something like that could separate what you were doing and the side that you, on, you were on compared to someone else who you were close kin to. Yeah, a really interesting story I come across. Um, I mentioned how the castle was held by the Luttrells and then it was taken, it was held by uh, Francis Wyndham. Um, well, when Robert Blake was sent in by the parliamentarians to retake Dunster Castle, it's recorded how he got Francis Wyndham's mum and he actually placed her in front of the cannons that was facing the castle and he threatened to blow her to pieces if he didn't surrender. But in my mind, I'm thinking, hold on a minute, isn't she, if, if um, Thomas Luttrell is a cousin of Francis Wyndham, doesn't that mean that Francis Wyndham is, uh, his mum is related to Thomas Luttrell? So surely mm -hmm. both of them would have had something to say about the fact he was about to blow up the poor old lady. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> but she, she turned around and told him, carry on regardless, don't you worry about me. So fair play to her. <laughs> oh gosh, she sounds like a character. Well, there were a lot of very impressive ladies in Dunstan, actually. Yeah. But like, like we've been saying, you know, some of this history, some of these stories, some of these people, can play out on this, you know, in in an area that could be just as something as simple as a hill, yeah. a bridge. It can be a building. It could be an old pub. It could be um, the old market square. It can be hidden in so many different places. And again, this is the bit that you're. I said it earlier. This is the stuff that you are kind of uncovering and sharing with people. And you know, I know that you love and are so passionate about doing that. And you know, I suppose something to ask you is if there is a particular building an area that when you get to that moment on your on your walk yeah, that you good. love to regale people with i'm sure there oh, is probably it's, lots it's very but... hard because i i genuinely have a passion for dancer as a whole but i'm trying to think i couldn't say a favorite but i could maybe you know give you a couple of so I really like the Luttrell. It's like trying to say the favourite chocolate, isn't it, in the chocolate box? Yeah. It's really too difficult because yeah. they're all rather nice apart from the coffee one. Yeah. <laughs> like a box of milk trays. Yeah. <laughs> one would definitely be the Luttrell, the Luttrell Arms, which is um, a pub in Dunster. It's one of the first, if you do manage to visit Dunster, it's one of the first um, old buildings that you'll see at the top of the high street. It's just opposite the yarn market. Now that's got a really intriguing history. Um, it was first built in the 1400s and it was built as a house for the abbots of Cleve Abbey, which is not far away. Like I said, it dates from the 1400s. Um, it was built as the house originally, but by the 1600s, it was um, an L house and it was called the Ship Inn. Now I mentioned Dunster Haven earlier, which was Dunster's Harbour. It's thought that it was called the Ship Inn after the harbour there. 
interestingly, um, in more recent years, they've actually uncovered carvings in some of the wood panels of ships. So it's really amazing to sit in that pub, look at those carvings and try and, you know, I imagine the guy that would have sat there drawing that from his memory of seeing ships down at the harbour. And I, I find that fascinating. But um, another, another reason I like it as well is because it's one of the more haunted build or reputed to be one of the more haunted buildings of Dunster. Um, so a, a number of people have recorded seeing a figure of a monk behind the bar. Um, there's uh, also apparently a, the ghost of a dog there. So a number of people have, while sat enjoying a meal, they've actually felt something brush past their leg. Um, and apparently these people have looked down to see the dog and say hello, but to see that there's nothing there. And they've told, uh, an employee there has actually told me on one occasion, somebody went up to the bar and said, oh, where's the dog gone that's just brushed past my leg? They were so convinced that um, there was a dog there. Uh, A story comes from one room there in particular. And so somebody who's worked there for some time, she was telling me this story. And basically there's a gentleman who would stay there quite often with his daughter. There was regulars to the establishment. And um, one night after staying there, they was in a reception uh, booking in for their next, booking out and they was going to book again for the next time and um, when they was asked if they would like to stay in the same room and the gentleman replied yes his daughter looked up and said oh but daddy what about the little girl and she went on to explain that the ghost of a young girl uh, came and visited her in the night apparently they become good friends and had a good old chat was this room 28 it wasn't I, I hesitate to say the uh, name of the room because I'm worried that they're going to tell me off <laughs> <laughs> I only say this because I know somebody who stayed in room 28 at at this precise establishment and they had different strange things that they loved telling me about or rather didn't love telling me about when they were because you know if you like ghosts and you have an interest if something happens you're the person that they come and tell um but yeah they they regret they regaled me with it with um trepidation shall we say it was not something that they were expecting having not known that element of of kind of history attached to oh, okay. to the, to the pub, but... story? <laughs> well let's just say that they kept being woken up in the night right. hearing hearing things in their room right. and couldn't quite understand what it was but knew it wasn't them it wasn't coming from any neighboring room yeah. and they if they turned on their light in the in kind of where they from where they were they would see and find things in different spots to where they were like something having been dropped on the floor keys coins you know small things not things that yeah not like you would kind of not not something that's going to make a huge noise but enough for you to notice and hear especially dead of night when it's quiet but it would be something that they would instantly be able to hone in on enough to get their attention keep them awake um not let them sleep but not something so disturbing, like a huge crash that would alert so many people. It was almost intentional to get their attention. Yeah, and they yeah, they would they were they were they were somewhat perturbed. And I should say that this is someone who does not believe in this at all. They are diehard skeptics. It does yeah. because they could not explain it. You know, they they knew that they had put that that kind of set of coins their change in that particular place it was by the phone or by that notepad or whatever it was and for it, then it to be somewhere completely different yeah it's, it's, how on our events Why? we use different devices and things like that and um 
obviously it's much easier, especially for somebody who's skeptical, to just play off any responses they're getting on K2 devices or other electrical devices. But you know, when they're using those dowsing rods and we ask a question and they move, you can tell the cogs are whirling in their brain. They're trying to come up with an explanation for it because I think it's human nature. As soon as you have an experience that you can't explain, you straight away try and come up with an explanation for it. But what I love is when yeah, they we... get to that point and they think, okay, I've got no explanation for this, something is going yep. on. <laughs> and that's when you just see the look don't you yeah. because we we do like to fill in the gap we like to not have things left open we yeah. like to Everything answer to things explained. yeah and when you can't when every kind of situation is you know that you're being faced with does not have something logical that you can attach to that be it well that was a gust of wind it was this it was that when you have nothing logical to explain something mm you're left with something yeah. else it's and it's that between, something yeah. else it's that difference between oh it could have been this and oh that was real you know there's that yeah. sort of line you cross absolutely but you know it, it's it's such a fascinating building i mean you mentioned this history with um you know obviously with the harbor mm. i kind of understood that it was also a location where um admiral blake is reported to have possibly stayed at some point yeah, and, and that might be why is this connection of why the name had it had the name that it did with it being called you know the ship, well, the ship um, it was called the ship before the english mm, war started so it was called mm, the old ship the, the ship in before blake came to the area but um as you rightly said during the english civil war blake did come um, and there's a contemporary source and it's referred to as a stronghold so it's obviously been yeah. used at that point in time as somewhat as a barracks. Interestingly, if you go out of the back of the Luxor Arms now, um, you see the old pottery kiln, which is a really interesting building. In fact, it's thought to be um, the oldest of its kind, still standing. But opposite there, you'll see a sort of slightly raised platform. Now, it's thought that this platform is where Blake would have had his artillery lined up. And when you see the view from that platform, it makes sense because you're looking directly at the castle. Wow little things like that little nuggets that you aren't going to glean in a in a book are you but yeah. it you've got military things playing out you can see tactics you can see you can almost imagine it can't you can see people well, huddled together coming up with the yarn market um not sure if you've ever been obviously the old marketplace and uh you can actually see the scars from the civil war as i call it um one of the rafters up in the top of the yarn market actually has a cannonball hole in it so yes that as you can Imagine when you look at the castle behind and you look at this hole and you think, wow, okay, mm -hmm. that's real. Something, you know, a cannibal flew from the castle and flew through the wood here. I find that amazing. Yeah. yeah, it is truly incredible because it's not something that we typically see being played out on our in our back gardens, is it? But no, this is imagine? something that people really did live through and experience. And, you know, you would have had people hiding away injured being cared for you know i mean well, so many different things that we can't imagine now yeah one other story just while we're on the subject of the civil war so um it's recorded how uh, there's a gentleman who was leading some royalist forces and he came over to dunster and uh, shot from the cannon actually hit uh, some of his soldiers and completely obliterated a couple of his soldiers and he said how he was going to um make sure he gets to that person he was going to hang their limbs from the um castle battlements for the ravens but once he realised that uh, his siege of the castle was not going to come of anything, he disappeared. Kind of a bit like Game of Thrones, isn't yeah. it? It's kind of <laughs> but it is. It's, it is. It's a kind of bloodthirsty bit of history that, yeah, you just can't imagine playing out for everybody in their everyday lives. But it did. Yeah, and you, it you did. definitely can't imagine that happening it. in quaint 
little old dumpster. No, not these picturesque little no. villages with their beautiful um, masonry and you know their thatch, thatch cottages and yeah, well, we yeah. Been, but they did, they did. Yeah, and we were talking about Gallic's Bridge earlier. You know, for one, that mm. was a place where sailors would have been arriving essentially from the harbour after travelling, you know, all around the world. And two, it was the area where people would have gone and been led to the gallows. Now, if you go there today, it's the quietest, most quaint little corner of Dunster that you can find. And unless you knew about this you would never imagine that sort of thing happened there you know but it would have been deliberate and intentional for it to be that way because it was so you know because it was this kind of hive of activity with people coming in mm. what better place than to highlight these kind of criminals for what they've done to to make this example of them oh, so that everyone can true. see it and, and people coming that. in that way i've never actually you made know? that connection I've never thought of it like that and thought, you know, gallows would have been situated in this area because of people coming in off of the ships. I didn't make that connection. Because, so, they, yeah. because they're, obviously, they're obviously chosen, aren't they, for their vantage point, whether it's the height so that they can be visible for miles around or yeah. they're, they're chosen with that intent of where you see them as you're approaching the village, the town, where they can be seen and when they're going to be noticed because it was there as the example and it's that simple. Yeah. And not just the gallows, but, you know, often, sadly, the remains were left there yeah. so that, again, you have this visible reminder that could be there for months and months, if not years. Like John Wolfe, which is an amazing story. We'll have to do that on a future one if you uh, if you fancy it. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you don't have to um, ask me twice when it comes <laughs> to history. Someone said to me the other day, um, your eyes light up when you get to talk about this. And I'm like, yeah, it does, because it should do this is our connection with our past yeah. and you know we have so much wonderful history so much rich stories that are literally there um like a book to be opened it's amazing it how just much takes... you can find and sometimes you come across yeah. things and you just think why is this not known by everybody yeah, yeah and and whether it's a ghost story whether it's a folklore whether it's something you know just that routine is just it's such a powerful medium to be able to explore this side of our past i think yeah. and you know like so many places across our landscape dunster is just an example of this rich rich kind of tapestry of of history of folklore of ghost lore that we have woven into the seams of, of our buildings of of our geography of the stories that have survived the the records that are kept the things that have been passed down and you know being able to uncover that is 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 something there's something beautiful about that because it's so revealing isn't it, it about really is, yeah. the everyday person and it, it was yeah. nice you referred to it as a tapestry because i often refer to it as a tapestry because i think it covers so much and there's so much there you know i think for a lot of people history has to be tangible but there's so much mm -hmm. history in the area is isn't tangible but is still massively important and still part of that tapestry uh which i think helps yeah. appreciate the history of the area a bit more mm, absolutely and you know it's it's being able to tap into this isn't it and to explore it and you know you, you i think once you start you just have that bug that you let go of really and yeah yeah it, it's exactly. something i think we both got the bug <laughs> Oh yeah, completely. <laughs> but you know, there are there is I think there's so much more. I mean, this is just 
the beginning of of kind of what you have and what you you share with people there's so many buildings there's so many different locations there's so many stories it is i mean there is there's I so think much you start you can't stop i put the book together to try and give people an opportunity to do the dunster ghost walk but at the same time i feel like i'm not doing dunster justice because i'm not covering the whole history mm -hmm. but i'm thinking you know i have to accept the fact i'm not writing a history book of dunster i'm just doing the dunster ghost walk but that can come later but there's just so much there to cover that I don't know. It's, and I'm also aware of the fact that it doesn't matter how much I learn, there's always going to be more for me to learn. It doesn't matter how much I'll learn about something. And I think I've learned everything there is to do with that. And then you learn about a whole new aspect of the history of Dunster that you were completely unaware of. But this is because I think, again, the beauty of history and the way that it was so often recorded or not recorded and, and squirreled away and hidden away, it does mean that history can be uncovered in some of the most unlikeliest of places exactly. you know it could be a map that is retrieved from somebody's attic it could be a document that's uncovered somewhere in a dusty part of a library yeah. you know this this isn't history that's on show it's not out there it's not kind of being looked at it's it's there to be found mm. and it takes people finding it it takes people being interested 100%. in it and again you know this is where you know something like a ghost tour a historical tour a book a podcast it can excite someone enough to go look and who knows they might be the person that finds that next that next little gem that account that's been recorded yeah. some document some map something and what that tells you know it's the next piece in the story really isn't it it is yeah well, i guess i'm i am lucky in some regards that i used to work at the castle which gave me a bit more of an insight and obviously the fact that I was doing my degree while I was working there allowed me to study not just the castle, but the area of Dunster for a number of uh, essays and things like that. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, it gives, sometimes you'll come across something and it gives you an opportunity to um, learn a whole different aspect of history. So something I learned with Dunster, which I thought was really interesting, obviously it's known for the uh, yarn market. Yarn market would imply that, you know, it's an area that was well known for its yarn, which it was known for Dunster yarn. But actually, records show for uh, through the um, late 1600s and early 1700s and beyond, you've got the Morecambe family um, it recorded. Now, the Morecambe's uh, was Cordwainers, which was a, a shoemaker. And um, it sh there's records and receipts that show how they used to make uh, shoes for the servants of Dunster Castle and things like that. And actually, the records that we've got that talk about the uh, shoemaking industry in Dunster shows that during this period, it actually... It easily equaled, if not overrun, that of the yarn trade, which is, again, it's completely overlooked. But what I love about that is, you know, I, I can show people exactly where Thomas Morecambe lived. You can see his house and things like that. And all these little things add to it. That's an mm. aspect of the history of Dunster that you would, wouldn't know otherwise. So just to finish, is there... I mean, I mean, you literally must must be an encyclopedia at this point in terms of what yeah, you know. it's the trouble, isn't it? We've been chatting for quite a while, and I can't help but be aware of all the things we haven't covered. But I know, uh, but it it is one of those things you really could just keep going and keep going and keep going if allowed. And you know, again, that's just the well. Maybe we'd have to do a part. The two. beauty of it. Yeah, part two and part three. And yeah, again, with your book, you're probably going to need part two, part three. Yeah, two point two. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but do you have a, I don't know, a favourite ghost story, a fa 
favorite nugget of kind Ooh. of the paranormal tie to something again you know it's hard to pick a favorite but do you have one that you like and enjoy sharing for um, its can connection? i tell you two yeah you can tell us two so i've got to tell you this one is it's the same ghost sighting from a couple of people but so um we covered the Luxor Arms, and then so from the Luxor Arms, if you follow the back roads we've done surrounding the Tide One and the Dovecot, now that's a really interesting area. Um, where the kitchen gardens now are, in the top right corner of the first kitchen garden, if you're stood there, you're actually stood in an, in an area where the Benedictine Priory was at one point in time. So it's recorded how the Demoans of Dunster Castle, that was a family that held Dunster Castle prior to the Luxor's taking it, they um, gifted a lot of land to Bath Priory. And a, a sort of sister cell prior was established at Dunster and they built it onto the already existing church here. Anyway, so as you head towards the Tithe Barn there, you see the rear entrance of the Yarn Market Hotel. I've um, spoke to somebody who grew up in the area and um, she knows a news agent who worked in Dunster for several decades. And he told her on numerous occasions he's seen the figure of a monk appear out of the back of the Yarn Market Hotel area and drift on towards the Tithe Barn. I spoke to another person and she told me how she's seen the figure of a monk appear out of the Tide Barn area and drift towards Priory Green, which is where the uh, sort of kitchen garden area is. And I spoke to another lady who was completely unrelated, who told me she's uh, seen a monk uh, in this area and she's also spoke to the monk. So I mentioned about the fact that the Priory was here. Numerous people have seen monks in the area over the years. Um, and I think that adds huge value not just the numerous sightings from different people, but also the fact that you're seeing monks in the area where monks actually would have lived. Yeah, it's not random. No, it's not there, random. There's this real real connection with a, a location where this is where they would have been. Exactly. And whenever you have confirmation with people who are unknown to each other, who are seeing and reporting similar things at different times, you know, different decades, different ages, different generations, yeah. you know, again, there's there's some weight to that, I think, Definitely. that warrants investigation, certainly. Yeah, there has to be something to it, you know. Um, yeah. What's interesting about that area is, um, I mentioned earlier, we use different devices on on our walks. Uh, we actually do the Estes method as well, where we use headphones and, you know, sensory deprivation. And um, it's quite common for my name to come through in that area, which I find quite funny. <laughs> um, I was mm. just going to mention one other one to you. So I spoke to a lady who used to live in the area of uh, what's called Mill Gardens. She lived in a uh, bungalow down in that area. And um, she told me how when her son was younger, uh, she used to hear him talking to herself quite a lot. Anyway, um, one day she questioned him about it, and he turned around and told her that he wasn't talking to himself. He was talking to his friend Luca. Now, Luca is the spirit of a young child that resides in the area of Dunster. And as we heard earlier, the situation with the Luxor Arms, the child of Luca um, actually become friends with this boy that lived there. Now, that obviously in itself is just a ghost story. But what's really interesting about that is on our event, we have actually, I believe we've actually made communication with Luther. So we were using a, a K2 device, electromagnetic range detector, and uh, it was picking up on a high amount of energy. And I said, you know, as I always do, if there's someone here with us, could you please move away and stop the lights lighting up so we know that you're here with us? Um, and the lights disappeared, and uh, I thought, thought, wow, hopefully we're going to get something here. And I said, um, okay, if you're here with us, just to confirm, please light up the device for us and we can use that to communicate with you. Um, as I said that, it shot up to the red. It couldn't get any higher. And for about 10 minutes then, we proceeded to have a conversation with young Luca. It was an amazing experience. And uh, 
I'll never forget it. And actually, there was a lady who experienced it with me, and she left a review on the Dunster Ghost Walk Facebook page talking about that experience. So, yeah. Yeah, when you have something like that, it's not something you forget, is it? No. And, and again, I think this is where if you... I've got goosebumps now, actually, just thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> but it is when you have those moments that you can't explain or that just really have you standing, scratching your head, wondering what's going on. Or if you have something that feels very intellectual, very, very real in, in a way. Um, you know what's really strange about it is I think the reason I got into paranormal and got to the point where I'm at now is because I tend to pick up on things and um, mm. I know a lot of people say that but I just had a feeling that it was like a feeling of a connection and I felt like yeah. he needed help um, from somebody who needed to give him guidance do you know what I mean and I was like trying to give him guidance but yeah that was a really interesting experience. Well it is I just think it's a form of connection isn't it and again I think there's something very powerful in that in being able to try and explore the past and the the people and feel like you are part of their story and then part of yours you know there, there's something there's something powerful in that in the sense that it they're not they don't disappear as a result do you know what i mean that person who left that review is going to remember the story of that person yeah yeah they you know, know it's not something true. they're going to forget yeah. and so that person therefore at least for her yeah is going to be something that stays with her for her lifetime. Yeah. And there's something beautiful and powerful and connective in that element alone. If nothing else, if someone, you know, doesn't believe, and, you know, I firmly believe everyone is entitled to their own opinion, mm. but there's something beautiful in connecting with that story, that person, that experience, that means at least something doesn't die, something doesn't disappear. Yeah, no, it right. allows... He lives on in us. And it's funny you say yeah. that because actually that experience... You know, I'd never met the lady before in my life, but that experience actually connected us. And she's done other events mm. with me, and I would consider her a friend now. And I think it was that experience that connected us, which is strange, really, yeah. isn't it? It it is things like that that ties all of us, and and I suppose it comes back to what we are we've been saying all the way through this talking. You know, when we find a connection, be it through architecture, through a story, through a bit of folklore. Yeah that's the connection to our past to the people of our of our ancestors our generational ancestors you know whatever it is that's that connection to that and again there's something powerful in that that we just don't forget you know it stays with us yeah. if we make that connection it's there it's a link and it's indelible mm. yeah. so yeah it's nice isn't it Thank you. It is. Honestly, I could I could listen to you forever, I think. So you are definitely going to have to come back. Oh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'll happily come I back. Just, yeah, no problem at all. Honestly, it's been so lovely to talk to you. And I highly recommend people coming and finding you on the on the website. I'll make sure that we get all of your links so that people can easily find your um, Facebook page, yeah. information about how to, to get onto a tour, obviously how to get your book we'll make sure all of that goes on the website as well as in the podcast description notes so people can find out more about dunster or pay a visit hopefully and and make some of these connections for themselves come on and on May. we've got the historical walking tours sort of daytime tours at the moment and then uh, in october we're starting the dunster ghost walk again so uh, yeah if you want to learn even more then uh, be sure to join us and i would say you know 
look for things like this where you live too yeah um you know if, if dunster isn't uh, you know near to you look for places near to you because you're going to have someone like bobby who does something like this who shares some of this wonderful history that you can experience to maybe a little bit closer to home yeah. whether you know you live in scotland whether you live in france wherever you're listening i'm sure there is somewhere like this that you could go and have an experience like this so yeah, exactly. make the most and a lot of, of people it. say to me when they come on my events events oh we didn't know what to expect well just go for it people support yeah. support people in your local area just try and find somebody who has a passion for what they're doing because i mean you know speaking from experience myself I, I love what I do so much because it allows me to spread that awareness. And um, I really enjoy seeing happiness coming from people who have enjoyed learning more about an area that I'm passionate about. So, and I'm sure that other mm -hmm. people who try and do the same sort of thing as me will be equally appreciative. Definitely. Honestly, thank you so much, Bobby. No problem at all. And, uh, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. I'll say goodbye to everybody listening. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye, everyone.